This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. We've got another great episode for you this week. We're joined by Rachel Lawson, alcoholic beverage attorney, to talk about the Treasury's report and its impact on the alcohol world because uh, there's a lot of different recommendations in there. We'll see if any of it comes true in our conversation this week. is with Tim Montana, singer, songwriter, country artist, rocker, you name it. He's an awesome dude uh, with some great music, and it's a fun chat with him. I hope you enjoy it. Remember to check out hopspirits.com for a lot of fun things and a whole lot of new videos uh, coming out for our cocktail 30 and our give it a try uh, highlights as well enjoy the show it's almost time where did i where, where did i put those here they are <laughs> it's time for tasting notes joining us here for a tasting notes is uh, we're going to go a little different than normal but we're still in the alcohol world we have rachel lawson alcoholic beverage attorney rachel welcome in thank you so much for having me well, I'm, I'm glad that, that you're able to talk because, you know, we talk a lot about beer, uh, bourbon, whiskey, cocktails, things like that, all things alcohol here on Tasting Notes. Uh, one thing that I think people might forget, though, from time to time is how complicated of an industry this is. And that's what, what mm-hmm. you're here to hopefully shed a little light on because the, the TT or the Treasury's report um, kind of looking at all these industry factors was just released recently. And I mm-hmm. figure, why don't we start there and um, go with what was your biggest takeaway from that report that might have some real impact on, on the everyday consumer? Sure. So I'm not sure how much background people have, or you're saying Treasury report and if people even know. So just briefly, in July of 21, um, Executive Order 14036, if you want to look it up, um, directed the Treasury to evaluate the alcohol market for any competition issues, and it is titled Promoting Competition in the American Economy. Um, Competition in the Markets for Beer, Wine, and Spirits. And this was released about a month ago. And, um, you know, it's nothing in it should surprise anyone. I think the two things that stood out to me is, uh, again, something that most people shouldn't be surprised at is that, guess what? There are two major companies (laughs) that dominate the market for beer in this country. 10 guesses who those are. (laughs) Um, And, you know, with that comes a lot of of issues. Um, They are, you know, clearly engaging in monopolization behaviors. Um, If, you know, you all remember U.S. history from high school, you know, what those types of things are. And and they do engage in those kinds of things. Um, And so that's one concern that the Treasury Department identified. And the second is wholesalers, the evil wholesalers. So, you know, I always call the wholesalers, they are a necessary evil, much like myself. So um, the, uh, the wholesalers, um, you know, as, as most people hopefully presumably know, in order to make or just traffic and sell alcohol, you have to have a permit, a high level, you know, 10,000 foot view. That's what I, I tell my clients. That's what I tell my students when I teach about this. Um, and so the people that take it from, from manufacturer to retailer, uh, play an important role. But what has gone on is they have just been given more power. And post-prohibition, the the idea was to take power away from the manufacturers who at the time had more power. But now the the tables have clearly turned. You know, it's been, you know, quite a long time since prohibition was repealed. And quite frankly, it's it's time for a change. And what the Treasury Department said, you know, the the franchising laws that that a lot of states, you know, 
have when it comes to distribution really, really hurt the little guy. You know, little guy from any alcohol, from beer to wine to spirits, you know, they just, it's very hard for them to get a leg up. And basically the recommendation has been that states need to start pushing towards more direct to consumer shipping laws. Um, so I believe that direct to consumer is going to be the next big revolution in alcohol in the next few years. And I think we're, we're getting, we're in this, this report may be the beginning of it, to be honest with you. I think it may happen faster than we think. And the reason is we have a bit of a, um, you know, a, a small company you might've heard of them called Amazon that sort of <laughs> has everything ready to go. <laughs> they have the warehouses, they have the people to, to take it from, from A to B. They just need the law. They just need to literally go state by state and pass the laws they need. And they are doing that. I happen to know the gentleman here in Tennessee. He is a fantastic individual. He used to be the executive director of the Tennessee Alcoholic Beverage Commission. And that is what he's here to do. Um, and he's gonna try to do that one, one state at a time because it's never going to be a federal thing. It's not gonna, I'm sorry to tell you, cannabis, yes, alcohol, sorry, we're not going to see any massive sweeping federal regulation. It's got to be state by state. But once it does happen, I mean, Amazon is going to allow craft distiller in Podunk, wherever, to, brewery, to be able to reach anyone in like two days. And that is a miraculous and wonderful thing. Absolutely astounding thing to happen. Um, and I think those are the two biggest takeaways that I have is that uh, we need to like do something about these big brewers. And what they, what they think is that the direct-to-consumer is going to help with that problem. Because if I can get beer from these, you know, breweries up in Portland and Washington, you know, I'm here in Tennessee, there is no way that I'm getting them unless they start manufacturing closer to where I am or I go there myself. Um, I think that's what's going to open up the, the, the alcohol economy a little bit more is to get, get put, put these smaller craft manufacturers on a, no, I'm not going to say an equal playing field with a Budweiser, because let's just be honest with that. That's not going to happen, but get them a little bit closer, get them a little bit closer. Because the other thing is, you know, the, the, the you know, we all, we all know that Miller Coors and, and Budweiser have been um, acquiring you know, they see a craft, a craft manufacturer, beer manufacturer that's starting to cut into their margins. What do they do? Easiest thing. It happens in every business. They buy them. They buy them. And, you know, people get upset about it. And on one hand, I understand that this industry is, is one that is characterized differently than others. But what they're doing is very common in almost any other industry in the world. Um, but th that might need to stop if, you know, the federal government says, um, you're getting too big for your bridges. But this is another way that I think that could happen. I think that allowing the smaller guys to have a, you know, a, a little bit of a more level playing field will will help with that a lot. Well, and it sounds like some some interesting things are going to happen because I know across a lot of states they're allowing a little bit more self distribution than than they would in the mm -hmm. past based on how big of yeah. a size you are. But it'll be interesting to see. And if you want to, if if you're good with it, we want to stick around and, and chat a little bit more about this report because I mean it wasn't just a couple pages and, and there's a whole <laughs> lot more to dissect. Um, are, are you good to stick around and, and chat a little bit? Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. If you want to hear the full interview, just check out all of our uh, social media and go to hopspirits.com as well. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com.
Joining us here on the Bar Conversations is Tim Montana, singer-songwriter, and just, uh, I think, all-around pretty awesome, badass dude with a great beard. Tim, welcome in. Viper <laughs> love. <laughs> now, I, I, I must ask, uh, you know, I, I see you enjoy a drink on occasion. You got anything good tonight? Um, just a little vodka, little vodka soda going on, LaCroix and vodka. Not that Russian shit. We're talking Tito's. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, just thinking about it, I didn't expect you to go with the vodka and and soda tonight. Yeah, I'm trying to quit the whiskey. You know, it doesn't uh, get a little too rowdy. You know, I've got a got a reputation to try and restore. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I got a little whiskey, right? a little Yellowstone, uh, which I oh, love. This. Uh, it's Yellowstone, though it's made in Kentucky, which makes a ton of sense, right? <laughs> Right. Yellowstone, Kentucky, been there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, you know, looking at social media and all, and just seeing your career, how, how do you become friends with such a unique group of individuals? You know, Billy Gibbons, you know, we've got the Foo Fighters, Travis Pastrana. I mean, those don't seem like they're all the same type of person, but yet you're friends with so many fun people that you could do a lot of fun things. Yeah, I think they all have a common thread of, kind of wild man renaissance man that you know kind of walk the boundaries of genres and lifestyles and you know billy does cars and barbecue and rock and roll and dave Grohl does barbecue and rock and roll and movies and it's just kind of i don't know we're, we're very all of us are very like personality wise you know even though on paper or camera we don't seem to say that we're all very have a lot in common so well and i was I, gonna I, say I'm... finding fellow madmen so <laughs> <laughs> well, and the Travis definitely fits that 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 uh, that mold in the right. the Nitro Circus crew there too. Um, was it the beard that got you with with Billy? Is that kind of how that that friendship started? Just a, an admiration of of great beards. Yeah, that was 2013, and we met over a song called "This Beard Came Here to Party." I had a verse and chorus. Somehow, uh, my friend Paula got it to another friend that got it to Billy that all of a sudden he came to Nashville. We finished writing it together. We recorded it. And then the Boston Red Sox picked it up. They were growing their beards for the World Series. They won the World Series. And next thing I know, we're on the cover of USA Today. And that happened. I'm not shitting you. It had to happen in like less than a month from the time the song was written to the time that it, uh, <clears throat> that, that it all happened. So. And that was what, just kind of like you said, pure just pure luck. I don't want to call it luck, but just you know, right person to the right person, and next thing you know, thing things take off. Basically, I mean, it was just I didn't believe. I'm like, no way is my hero going to walk in here today. And it wasn't. I was very independent, had very little money to spend, and I happened to have a studio rented with my live bands. They couldn't even afford studio musicians. So it was my it was my touring band. And we had a two-day window in Platinum Lad Studios, and Billy's tour lined up with it. And he came in, and magic happened. And next thing I know, I'm you know I just wrapped. I think somewhere around my fiftieth date was Easy Top that we've opened for those guys. So now we got a hot sauce company with barbecue salsa. We just are frequent collaborators, and he's one of my best friends and my hero. That that, that is awesome. And I I was gonna say, you know, looking at that that beard for those that are watching, how how much work goes into that? Because this is about as far as I can get it to go with it out of just looking awful, but uh, you seem to be rocking pretty well there. Well, the deal with beards is there's no work that goes into it. <laughs> you don't have to, <laughs> you have to wake up and shave because, you know, but 
with the whole pandemic mask thing is when shit got weird. Because if I wear a mask, there's a line on my face or on my beard. I shit you not. <laughs> so I had to go out and find these special bandana masks that actually had the ear loops. And uh, flight attendants for the first half of the pandemic were like, that that won't work. So then I put a mask over it. But I had a double mask, and uh, that was kind of annoying. But that was the only beard drum I've had uh, in my 10 years of growing a beard. My tenure. <laughs> Ooh, I, I like to play on words there. I, I, I mean, did, did you ever, I mean, so so this is, I don't want to say recent, but 10 years. So before that, was it just clean shaven or was it kind of my length or what, what was it? Buddy, but I had the chin strap beard, mm. the little pencil line going for a while. And uh, there are photos out there. I think when we did the late show with David Letterman around 2008, people were like, huh? And I had the chin strap beard and 10 gallon <laughs> cowboy hat. So, yeah, so I started there, and then I don't have much of a chin, so I grew the beard out, loved it. Then one day I shaved it, and I freaked out when I shaved it, and my wife's like, no. I messed with her like two days ago. I'm like, I'm thinking of changing my or shaving my beard, and she's like, don't do it. I don't want to hear you, bitch. <laughs> I was going to say, if she's for the beard, you leave the beard. I mean, that just seems seems wise. Happy wife, happy life. I've learned that in my, my decade of marriage. Yeah. Your tenure. <laughs> uh-huh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Now, I was, I was going to say, speaking of that, you know, you share a lot of your life on, on social media and you know, including your kids. What's it like being a, a dad and having fun? Yeah, I've got four little nuggets. Well, little one just turned 14. I have three that have birthdays in the last 10 days or 12 days of February. Um, and uh, so I've got one that just turned one. One just turned six, and then my daughter, oldest, turned 14 yesterday. So she was the last, February 28th. And then I've got one that's randomly in July. I think we're very fertile around <laughs> there. Um, but, yeah, they're a lot of fun, man. They travel with us, and they're, you know, if I just kind of they, – they get to see all the chaos. I don't really censor a lot. I mean, I'm not going to go full send, dropping the F-bomb. You know, as, I do it as little po- as, as possible around my kids, but – but they kind of get to see this lifestyle and Billy comes over and they're just like, Oh, it's Billy. And then someday I think they'll look back and realize, you know, a lot of these people like who they were, but as for now, they're just like, Oh, it's just our dad's friends and our friends. And so it's pretty interesting. So I was going to say, do they call him uncle Billy? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, yeah. But I have a great memory of, uh, can we cuss on here? Yeah. I mean, we drink beers oh. and drink whiskey. So yeah, we're good. <laughs> it's adults. <laughs> There was a Christmas party one year where my daughter was in her room and Kid Rock came over and brought her a gift that was like a Waffle House candle, if memory serves me right. And he brought it into my daughter's room. And I hear, what, you don't like it? And she's like, not really. And he's like, well, fuck you, Savannah. And walked out and I'm just like, oh, Kid Rock. <laughs> my kids are like totally like, oh, Bob. <laughs> I was gonna say, but you're right. Memories later on will will probably be really cool when when someone kind of goes, "Hey, you know they were famous, right?" Right. <laughs> well, and and you also touched on this. You know, you got a, a hot sauce company. Your, your background's a whole lot cooler than my photo of some some flowers. You're you're actually grilling right now. So, um, are you becoming yeah. a grill master here too? Yeah, I've been on Traeger's Pro Team for probably. I think I just signed with them for my fifth or sixth year. So when they first started taking on, I didn't even know what influencer was or ambassador. You know, they call it. a lot of companies prefer the word ambassador because they don't want to act like whatever reason. But uh, 
they brought me on and I didn't know what that world was. And I just started making cooking videos and uh, I grew up hunting and wasn't a giant cook when I was a kid. My mom did all the cooking, but uh, I was very fascinated with meat and the preparation of meat. When I moved to the South, I realized that these people take it real fucking serious. Mm -hmm. My neighbors were arguing and fighting about it and they had their little slow smokers. And I was like, I want in on this shit. And uh, you get to stay up all night and drink beer. So then Traeger came over, left me a grill. I just started making videos and, uh, here I am, you know, work, you know, working with that company for five or six years and playing a lot of their shows. And that community has kind of become part of my community now where there's a lot of people, they post a grilling video, they use my music on there. So it's just kind of this really <laughs> cool creative, you know, we call it the old boy network. Um, we just cook and everybody shares each other's stuff. And there's guys on there that are surfers and skiers and, you know, and I was one of the first musicians they had. So it's, it's a cool little, cool little family to be in. Well, and then you mentioned you got hot sauce too. I mean, is there anything you don't 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 have going on, or are you just a straight foodie? Uh, I've got a cigar line in Montana, <laughs> Vigilante Cigar by Big Sky Cigars. Got my brand there on there. We do cigars too, but uh, it all has to like make sense and point back. And I've always been a fan. I think a lot of artists and influential people leave a lot of stuff, you know, that they didn't do and i look at guys like jimmy buffett and i'm not even the biggest buffett fan i am a buffett fan let me preface with that but i'm not like a diehard but like i'm more interested in like this cheeseburger in paradise and his margaritaville and his blenders and i'm like man that is genius to like start a lifestyle brand and his bringing the beach to you know the midwest was you know and i'm friends with mac mcanally i've got to hang out with a bunch of the coral reefers I haven't hung out with jimmy yet but hung out with pretty much everyone in his band and they're like, yeah, he just started this lifestyle brand, and it's just cool to see how he's navigated that. And I think he's one of the musicians worth over a billion dollars now because he just, you know, captured that. And it's like, this is my brand. This is what I do, and I'm going to go get it. You know, and it's, it's pretty cool. So I respect that business. Entrepreneurs, if you will. Exactly. And, well, and, and when it makes sense, it makes sense. And it, when it's true to you, that's even better. I, I feel like it's still got to be true to you and, and just who you right. are. Yeah, I'm not going to go pimping a weight loss code or a tooth whitening code. It's outdoors, hell raising. If it goes fast, if it tastes good, if it if it's wild, not landish, then, then I'm interested. Well, and then, you know, in addition to all these things that you do, you're also a musician. Pretty pretty good one, I, I would say. You know, I, I enjoy a lot of your songs. How would you describe your style? Because, I mean, country, rock and roll, southern rock, what, or are you just... I like to use this phrase, kind of throw a bunch of things in a blender and it just comes out a, a great sound. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I think that's where, you know, music row has struggled to figure me out, but I've always kind of stayed on this walking that line country and rock. And I remember some of my first musical influences were like guns and roses and Charlie Daniels. And I always wanted to mix those worlds. And I go see a lot of country music shows and I'm very bored because the artist isn't moving away from the mic. And I'm like, man, I want visuals. I want full send. I want you to take that stage and just fucking tear it up, you know, like Nirvana did back in the day. And so that's what I try to do at my live show. And people are like, oh, well, he's rock and roll. And I'm like, well, I grew up without power in rural Montana. I'm sure I'm very <laughs> rock and roll, but like came from about as country as a setting as you could. Um, but I'm definitely influenced by the Northwest. I don't really know how to describe the genre exactly. But, you know, country rock is probably the closest to it, but maybe full send country rock. Mm, I like it. I like it. Wordsmith as well. Send. 
Well, and and I also love it too because you grew up in Montana, but your last name is actually still Montana, correct? Yeah, yeah. People are like, "That's a made-up name." I'm like, "Really?" Ask my daughter Savannah. She hates it. <laughs> like, I don't have a first name. I'm only Savannah Montana. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, but you know, how did where you grew up and so forth, rural Montana? How or how did that influence you or impact you uh, with kind of your career? Um, I think the ruggedness of how I grew up and the, you know, work hard or die type stuff, you know, just kind of designed me for the music business because there's a lot of ups and downs, man, just constantly like, you know, with, with just putting music out and if this song sticks and then, you know, people telling you your art sucks and then going back to the drawing board and it's not, if you're sensitive, don't get in this business whatsoever. I don't care. Like go find something else to do, you know? Um, so growing up in Montana and growing up completely off the grid in a trailer house in the coldest part of Montana, they call little Siberia experiencing what 50 below and 60 below zero feels like, and still having to do your chores and go plug in your trucks to a solar panel because you don't have electricity to get it to start. And that kind of shit, you know, it's just like, it was tough, man. And we were poor. We didn't, I didn't know I was poor until I grew up and I was like, Oh shit, we were really poor. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think that just kind of designed me for the, the never quit type things. I've always just kind of had that ingrained in me. So they ain't getting rid of me, get rid of me yet, Jonathan. <laughs> well, and I, I don't, I don't want them to get rid of you either. Cause I enjoy your music and, and, and it's, it. it's, it's fun to, to chat with you too. Cause like I said, I, it's one of those things where I've enjoyed your music for a while. And I was like, Hey, let me see if I can get Tim on. <laughs> so, yeah. um, um, you know, you, you talk about it a little bit too, you know, the, the guns and roses, some of the rock bands, are those your influences too, when you were growing up and listening, is that kind of what influenced you or who you looked to, 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 I don't want to say emulate, but maybe draw inspiration from. I just have this distinct memory of like four or five and finding a tape that had Mr. Brownstone on one side and welcome to the jungle on the other and putting it in a tape player. I'm dating myself now. I was going to say some, some folks are not going to understand that. Right. Uh, but putting that in a tape player and hearing that and Axl Rose coming in and I'm just like my I just remember getting goosebumps and I'm like my god what is a human being making those noises because that is unfucking real and then the contrast of like finding the Marlboro Country tape that my mom smoked a lot of cigarettes for and that had some Charlie Daniels on it some Ronnie Millsap and then like I think the best convergence of those worlds was like Chris Ledoux when I like got hip to who he was and watched him on stage riding a bull and falling off a bull and running and and if you talk to Garth Brooks that's where he got his stage show from was watching Chris Ledoux like run around and do these slide across the stage and I'm like man like just something about that high energy showman shit just just gets me well, and it, and it sounds like you've, you've incorporated that into to, to you and what you want to do with your live shows. It's not just you in front of a mic. It's it's a show. It's a it's a live show. And it, it's something that people will, will remember in a good way. Yeah, I almost took a dive off a speaker Saturday night in Houston, Texas at the barbecue kickoff. We had a packed house at the tech, only Texans tent. And I jumped up on the speaker and the crowd's going nuts and we're ripping a ZZ Top solo. And I stepped back and there was nothing there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> my, like, I, we're like, I know it's coming. It is inevitable. If you do stupid shit, you'll win stupid prizes. And I'm due for a stupid prize any day, any day now. So hopefully, as long as it's not a neck brace. <laughs> well, you can you can hide it behind the beer. No one will know. 
screw. I'll just be like this, like, hi, how are you? <laughs> They'll just be wondering why you're literally stiff and why you have, have no, no, no movement, but otherwise it'll be fine. What's he doing? Is something wrong with him? Now, when did you know that this, you know, music was something that you wanted to pursue? Cause I have, you know, thinking with the, the, the journey and so forth, it's a tough journey. When, when was that yeah. though? You were like, Hey, that's, that's something I, I enjoy and I'm good at. And I, I want to keep, see where it goes. Gosh. I mean, when I was a kid and started playing guitar, I knew that was something I wanted to pursue. And then at, at high school, there came this fork in the road of like, I had military recruiters up at the house. Cause I've always had you know the most utmost respect for soldiers and veterans. And uh, I had the army guy and the Navy guy and I'd run in combat boots. And I was a kid off the grid that was like, chasing cows and hunting elk like i was perfect uh you know guy guy to get for them you, you checked every box yeah I, every box they're like we gotta they drive out in the woods i'd invite them to barbecues or to campfires my mom was so pissed that i'd have the recruiters up and they'd be like morning mary or night evening mary like let me get the recruiters out of here but uh then i sent a audition cd or something to uh, musicians institute and i was playing guitar like crazy and i started winning talent shows too then i noticed that chicks were paying attention and that's a big one a real big one so winning talent shows in high school and uh and then all of a sudden i was like well maybe i'll do the military this music thing we'll see what happens but i'll send a tape off to a, a college in hollywood and see if i get accepted and Lo and behold they accept me to music school so off i go to hollywood california and uh live there for a few years and you know, it takes a while to get, like in Hollywood, you have to pay to perform. And like me being 18, trying to put a band together. And it was a rock band too. And every, every time I'd show up and I even had a skateboard and I'd never skateboarded in my life. I crashed so many times in Hollywood, but I wanted to get away from the country shit because everybody's like, dude, you're redneck as hell. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a rock star. I'm fucking this. I am not from Montana. <laughs> like I rejected, you know, I was like. The kid that's like grows up in the woods and then I got out, grew my hair out and was like, I'm a rocker, I'm a skater, I'm everything but country. And I remember all the band practices I did, it was like, dude, your country is hell, but you have to pay to perform there. You have to buy your own tickets. And we never got to that point. I can never keep a group of guys together. So then I ended up meeting a guitar player, a legally blind guitar player from Nashville named Johnny Highland and my, my older brother's blind. So I had a connection with him right there, and uh, and I saw him play guitar without a distortion pedal and blew my mind. And I'm like, dude, does everyone play guitar like that in Nashville? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, shit. So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, and it still took years to get to the point. And it's funny, you know, running from Montana and then getting to Nashville. Then I put my cowboy hat back on. I was like, all right, this is what it is. This is what it's got to be. And then my first shows were, of course, in Montana. So I'd go back there. <laughs> and I remember making like, just ridiculous world tour posters but it was like tim montana world tour shoto montana butte montana livingston montana and that was it three shows for the year i didn't know what i was doing putting together broadway bands but just slowly worked my way up into the per you know the touring thing and just started building it but it was that that is probably the toughest part is like getting building that to where you can get booked to play a show which you're not going to get paid to do it for a long time well, I mean, I was gonna say the the journey is is, is always interesting, and I I love the world tour part because I I, I think back, um, you know, I grew up in West Virginia, Appalachia, 
um, nice. and, and so forth. And, and so, so many people, I, I'll never forget this. Uh, the Sacramento Kings in the NBA, when I was a, kind of a basketball fan there for a while, had all those foreign players from everywhere. And then they had Jason Williams, who was a little white boy from West Virginia. And they're like, see, he's from another country too. And I was like, hey, hey. That's not right. You know, but world tour, you know, you just go different places. You just never know how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, um, you know, you talk about, you know, all those that live in different places. How, when, when you're writing and so forth, because I, I consider you a wordsmith, you know, you drop in tenure, you know, for 10, tenure, things like that. Where, where do you draw experiences when you, when you're writing or, or are you pulling from past experiences, just an idea? How, how does that process work for you? Yeah, I think so. I pull from a lot of, you know, I, I think I've seen a lot of life and, you know, had difficulties growing up with my dad died when I was a kid and then I had an abusive stepdad. So I've lived a lot of lives before I even became an adult. I was kind of passed around there and lost for a while, you know, so like I always tell people, you know, beautiful, like from bad experiences, from like violence and shit comes places like Yellowstone that are beautiful and it's like but that place was forged in great you know lava and all that stuff and I like use that as kind of a metaphor of like yeah I've seen some shitty shit but hopefully it make, turns into something beautiful and maybe that's via song it definitely isn't this beard I gotta get it a little longer first but um but yeah I think just life experience and then you know getting your ass kicked in the room getting with writers that uh you know I remember Costas is a prolific songwriter. He's he's from Montana, but he was born in Greece. And he wrote, you know, some of Dwight Yoakam's biggest hits, Patty Loveless' mm-hmm. biggest hits. I mean, he's like the king of Nashville for years and Grammy nominated and all that. He just got in the uh, Songwriter Hall of Fame. And I met him through Montana to my mom's antique store because he's an antique collector. And I was like, I want to write, I want to write, I want to write. And talk about a wordsmith. This guy grew up in Greece and then came to Montana. So it's almost like his thoughts are backwards and they're so like <laughs> – and it's like so thought provoking I feel like for someone that's just American you know because like I just grew up you know speaking English this guy grew up learning two languages and I feel like he got the upper hand on that by a there's a bunch of Greek you know very prophetic guys that write great stuff I mean through history and then you got this guy but I remember one of my first writes with him I was like Costas I have this idea and it was a song about moonshine called Mr. Barnwell and I played it for him I was so excited and he goes brother I think you should write that one by yourself. <laughs> I was like, that was a slap in the face. I built up all this anticipation to like, just pitch this idea to this great prolific songwriter. And he's like, yep, go ahead and write that one by yourself. And then when he would, when we got into a song, he'd get up and walk around the house and I'd have to follow him with my notebook. And I, I don't know if he did that intentionally. Cause I was like 22 years old and he wanted to bust my balls and, you know, teach me the art Probably. and be like, you're not working. <laughs> follow me around with a piece of paper and if i allow a word in i'll allow a word in but uh guys like that just go in the room with guys will kick your ass always surround yourself with people better than you and try to learn from them don't be jealous of anyone just try to absorb that and i've learned that from navy seal buddies of mine they're motivational speakers too um one of my best buddies from butte montana is the guy that killed bin laden and he did 400 missions with seal team six and he's just seen so much life as well but he says that in his thing. He's like, man, when there's a Navy SEAL that was like better than me, he's like, I wasn't jealous. He's like, I'd go up and I'd, I'd see how they made their coffee and I'd make my coffee like that. And then I'd just kind of mimic their movements to see how they get through the day and like try to figure that out and then, you know, get in with them. And you're not trying to one up them. You're just trying to 
be, you know, you admire them and you want to learn something. You want to be a sponge. And uh, I've, I've kind of taken that very seriously. I'm like, yeah, surround yourself with people that are more talented than you and learn something. Always have well, your ears open. Yeah, good good things happen when you realize you're not always the smartest person in the room and and you, you can actually, like you said, listen. Um, and, and speaking of listening, I listened to you just dropped a new single, uh, Goodbye Me and and, and yeah. so forth. Can you want to talk, talk about how that one came about? Because I feel like timing is pretty good good, good for that one. Yeah, that's got a, a really interesting story. We were going to go on uh, Fox and Friends last Friday, but then this war broke out, right? Which is crazy, and I understand that we're not – we're not putting music on television on a major news network right now because there's more important things to cover. But that song, my buddy Brian Bowen Smith is an iconic Hollywood photographer. Like he does the cover of Vanity Fair and he's introduced me to so many cool people like Josh Brolin and Tiffany Haddish because he's just in that Hollywood world of actors and actresses. And uh, so he went around during the pandemic and took photos from his truck and he called me and I actually met him through Traeger. Um, he called me and said, hey, dude, I'm doing this book uh, called The Drive-Bys and I'm going to drive by and take these very Americana style black and white photos out of a 50s pickup truck. And I'm going to do a hardcover book and I'm going to sell it and I'm going to donate all the money back to families that have lost someone with COVID-19. And I'm like, wow, what a worthy cause. So he came over shot me in the garage he said get your guitar and it was you know right in the middle of the pandemic so we're being like very socially distant and all that stuff and i just started singing this he pulled out of california eastbound on a rainy nashville day and i started going he started filming it he's like dude he's making this song up right now about me and he was so excited and, uh the next day i had a write with eric dylan and brent cobb and brent cobb's a great writer so is eric they both had you know tremendous success and I don't like writing on Zoom. I feel like that, that was the only Zoom ride I think I did. Because afterwards, I'm like, even though we got a great song, I was like, there is a human connection that is missing that I cannot, you know, pour my guts out on a song over a computer. I just can't do it. It's just not for yeah. me. Um, but I, we were trying to get something. And I said, guys, I was going to finish this one by myself. But for the sake of let's get, the, let's get a song done, I played it for them. And they loved it. So we wrote it uh, via Zoom. And it was going to come out on the Long Shots album, and we held it back. I don't know for what reason, but uh, we only put out, I think, 10 songs, and we held that and I Ain't Ashamed for like a later release. So then flash forward to about a month or two ago, I'm on the Aaron Lewis tour, and I'm in El Dorado, Arkansas. It's not Dorado, it's Dorado. <laughs> and I'm on my way home, and I drive my own coach. I've got a 40-foot uh, Jayco Freightliner back there, and I'm driving the, the bus, and I pull up at this gas station at like 1230 at night meanwhile this song is pending release and there's none of this is connected yet so it's a long story but it's good <laughs> one of my uh musicians in the band goes man this place looks pretty rough like you know the gas station is really beat up so i don't know if i go in there alone i'm like oh it's fine and i'm wearing a cowboy hat all my rings snakeskin boots i look like burt reynolds in 1970 with a beard you know burt reynolds meets a freaking leprechaun and, uh, i go in <laughs> And I uh, walk in, I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm the only white guy in the place. I don't give a shit. And I say hi to a guy, and he kind of mean mugs me. And I'm like, well, I'd mean mug me too if, if I look like this. And I get a couple beers, and I go up to the counter, and there's like this little girl. She's probably eight or nine. And I'm like, this little girl's here at 1230 at night. I'm like, what the heck? And I assume that's her mom behind her. And uh, so she, I'm like, hey, do I need an ID? And she's like, gosh, mister, I don't know. I don't know if you need an ID. And she goes, I like your hat. And I was like, well, I like your smile. And she's like, oh, no way. 
And I said, hey, I got something for you. And I have a pink Whisker Bomb guitar pick that matched her shirt. And it's me and Billy's faces on there. And it says Whisker Bomb hot sauce. And I hand it to her. And she covers her mouth and jumps up and down with joy. And the lady that was with her starts smiling. And the same guy that just walked by and mean mug me now, I see out of the corner of my eye. And he's smiling because he saw this exchange that he didn't expect. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, man, tell me about your coach. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, it's a 2018 J.Co. Love it, blah, blah. It's all customized on the inside. I got bunks and stereos. And, and next thing I know, I have everyone from that gas station at 1230 at night coming out to the bus. And they're all <laughs> laughing, like just blown away, right? So the little girl before I left gives me a Post-it note. And she goes, I drew you this picture. I hope it makes you happy. And she drew on it with a Sharpie. It's actually the single cover. If you saw the artwork, the blue Post-it note. So I stick that on my air brake and I, I drive on to the night. We go to the campground. Unbeknownst to me, at that almost same hour, my wife was in uh, Nashville going down to uh, Dumumbrian to meet some friends. And she, well, I mean, we have four kids. She never goes out. Some friends in Montana were in town for that Bengals Titans football game. The girls were married to some of the coaching staff of the Bengals. Don't judge me if you're a Titans fan. But anyway, so she goes to get an Uber. And looks in this car right on Dumumbrian in downtown Nashville. And a girl flies out of the car yelling, white bitch, white bitch. And like smashing her head, attacks her. And like starts ripping her hair out. And an unprovoked, obviously racially motivated, this person likely was on drugs. But just like beat the shit out of my wife. My mother of four kids. So I get that call the next day as I'm driving. And I have this flood of emotion. You know, I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm pissed off at the world. Every time I get mad, I look down at Abriana's little picture she drew me from that exchange at that gas station, and I'd be like, the world's not such a bad place. And I just kept telling myself that and telling myself that. And I was like, man, I got a song coming out called Goodbye Me. I'm like, I want to use her post-it note as the, as the album artwork. And so I called. It took me a day to track down that gas station. I finally got a hold of the gas station. So I talked to her dad. Her mom had passed away, apparently. That wasn't her mom. Her mom passed away nine months ago. She was the sweetest little girl. And her dad, I said, hey, I just want to show her that she was nice to a stranger. She made my day. I sent him the story. I'm like, hey, here's the story just so you know what happened. And I said, I want to send her 250 bucks to license her post-it note. And he's like, oh, man, she is going to flip out. So that's where <laughs> just, you know, that juxtaposition, if you will, of my wife's experience that night and my experience that night of like completely different worlds. But, you know, I'm glad that happened at that time because it definitely changed my perspective on the situation. So, well, and it's a, it's a great song. And, you know, I, I, like you said, like you said, per perfect timing. And just, there is a lot of, no, no matter what we see on social media, there's a lot of good in the world, a lot of good people, a lot of, a lot of folks that just, yep. you know, want to put a smile on your face and, and, and enjoy seeing good things happen. Um, you just also, you, you mentioned your other album, long shots, you know, about a year ago, I loved uh, "Stronger uh, th Than You." Be a cowboy, two of my favorites off of that one. Uh, you talk a little bit about "Long Shots" and 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 just that that album. Yeah, that was my major label debut with uh, Knox, Broken Bow, BMG. There's like 19 names, <laughs> but um, so yeah, I cut that with Michael Knox, legendary producer, great guy. Love that guy, and um, went to the studio, cut those songs. They were gonna make me cut a bunch of outside songs, and I was like, look. Cause they, I went in there and I talked about the artist thing again. I went in and played my best shit and they're like, you ain't got it. And I was like, motherfucker. So I went out and just like heard down and got with like the best writers I could find David Lee Murphy's and guys like that. And just 
honed it in. And my neighbor guy right here in Nashville lives three houses up. We recorded and co-wrote about 10 of those songs as well. And finally got it to where I had, you know, I'm like, I can't have my label debut be, you know, other people's songs. And not, not that there's anything wrong with cutting other people's songs. I'm just like, I am too complex for you to understand my brain. <laughs> like, I must say it. <laughs> but uh, So, yeah, so we cut it. And uh, I'm really excited about it. The album cover I love. That was uh, that was photoed in my hometown, Butte, Montana, on a 1942 Indian Chief, I believe. So it's very nice. Americana, Ash, middle finger to the man. So... Yeah, I, 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 every now and then I'll, I'll play, play, you know, some of your, your songs when I'm just, you know, at, at my house and I'll put it up on like, you know, Spotify to the, my, my TV and that'll come on and my wife's like, really? Your daughter's going to see that? I'm like, but it's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just play for them all the time. They'll be immune to it. My kids are like, dad, I swear to God, my kids are going to end up being the most square kids on earth because they had just an unfiltered life and they're just like god my dad's a fucking nutcase i don't want to be anything like that i'm gonna go to college and have a normal job i'm gonna work nine to five i don't want to be anything like that maniac <laughs> well another another song that I, I i enjoy of yours i guess it's it came out prior to um you know your, your major label is hillbilly rich you, you talk a little bit yeah. about that one because i just I, I don't know that that's one of my favorite songs like i said what when I was, you know, putting together playlists, you know, because it's something I always used to love making burning CDs. I'll date myself. I used to burn CDs for people and myself and my yeah. wife and things like that. So, you know, now I make playlists, but but that's like at the top of, of one of my, my playlists. Yeah, yeah. That song I wrote with uh, David Fannin and Ben Stennis and David and I had, had a big night out partying in Nashville and it was around the holidays and we ended up at the Waffle House near my house in Nashville. And we went big in. place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the waitress was like crying and it was almost Christmas. It was, I think it got, had to be a week before Christmas. The waitress was crying. And I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, oh, these guys bothered, you know, they tipped me one cent and they were just mean to me the whole night and made me do all this stuff. And they bothered to write one cent on the tip thing. And so I think David and I had a couple hundred bucks between us in our wallet. So we just pull out a few hundred bucks and tipped her and left. And the next day, I think I told my wife the story and she's like, Jesus, she's like, you have, you know, we didn't have a lot of money at all that time. Not that we're rich now, but we didn't have shit then. And she's like, what do you think? You're hillbilly rich. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> and then we went and wrote it. I'd be dropping hundred dollar tips at the waffle house. And it's very autobiographical. Yeah. So we wrote that song based on an actual experience at the waffle house late at night, hammered drunk. I, I love that. See, you really do pull from from real life experiences, and you know, obviously, I, we mentioned you got the the new single out. I mean, is is a new album coming soonish? Maybe thinking about it. What, what what's what's coming there that you can tell? Well, there's I can't publicly announce anything, but I am always writing and recording. And now that this came out, I'm going to go back in the studio and start cutting more shit. Um, We've got a big tour out west coming, and then I'm going to jump on with Co Wetzel, and we're going to go up mm. from Florida all the way up the East Coast. Um, so I'm going to put out, I'm going to put out some rowdy shit this year. I've uh, decided I'm just going to, going to flood the marketplace. That's my plan. I like. Will they plan. reel me in? I'll see. I, it's a good tease too. I like it. A good tease. So, so, but there is a tour. You are going to go out and have a little fun. Meet, meet some people. Yeah, yeah. People are always like, are, are you guys going to go on tour? I'm like, we're pretty much always on tour. There's only a few weekends I'm home, you know, whether it's like a full run or just, you know, 
random dates here. Like this next Saturday, we're in uh, Valley City, North Dakota, uh, playing up there. I love getting up there, you know, oil country, guys like that. Those people understand cold weather. They seem to get me in the Midwest a lot more in my personality. And, you know, because they grew up with cold weather. They snowmobile, they cuss, they party hard, they drink hard, they, they work hard, you know. And so they seem to be, you know, my folks. But, uh, yes, we're going to North Dakota, bud. Come on. I hope you, you, you're way better at accents than I am. I, I, I went to school, I went to school in West Virginia. I, I golfed, but somehow we got a lot of Canadians on the golf team there. I don't, don't know how that worked, but man, there were some that accents and it was great. <laughs> I, I also now yeah. say, uh, instead of a toboggan, that's what you ride. And I wear a toque that that's what goes over your ears. <laughs> so <laughs> I pick up weird things, you know? <laughs> And then I guess we'll, we'll we'll finish with this. Anything else folks can expect from you in, in 2022, except maybe just a little more rowdiness, a little more fun? Yeah, I've got another movie coming out. I was in uh, The Last Sun that came out in December. I had a very, very small role, but it was getting my feet wet in acting. And I love Western shit, so some of the music I might top secretly be working on is very Western themed and only written from an 1800s perspective of a gunfighter. And I'm just like, love diving into this shit because getting to go back to Montana and work on these two films I did, you know, the first one, the last son was with Sam Worthington, Heather Graham, Machine Gun Kelly, Thomas Jane. And Tom Jane met me. He's the Punisher from the original uh, Marvel movie and okay. also did a bunch of Steve. Um, he's in hung. I mean, he's a tremendous actor. And, uh, so then he got me casted for murder at Yellowstone city, which is pretty rad. Cause I have a giant gunfight scene and a lot, I'm a gang leader that, you know, you'll have to see what happens, but yeah. So murder at Yellowstone city will be out at some point this year. Um, I've just loved going down this world of Westerns and it's kind of, you know, not, I want to say change me musically, but I'm definitely going to go pursue a side project of Tim Montana Maybe the Cowboy Diaries. I don't know. Just write some gunslinger shit. I'm like, man, we need more of that. Like, Westerns are so hot right now. Yellowstone kind of blew the door back open for that. And I'm just kind of riding that way, being the Montana guy that loves. I think I was born in the wrong century anyway, so love getting to do that stuff. But, yeah, that's coming. Touring like crazy. I bought Charlie Sheen's tour bus that'll be on the road. Um, testing for my CDL on Monday. I already passed all my written, so I'm going to drive my own shit because I like operating heavy equipment. I like it. You know, as my friend Fox said, you never met a motherfucker quite like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, there is nothing I can say to that. And if you want to find out more about uh, Tim, timmontana.com. Follow my social media. It's awesome as well. Tim, this was a blast, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, Jonathan.